I'm Frances Rollin and I'm here with Michelle Hobbs, a senior associate in our employment team. Welcome, Michelle. Thanks, Frances. It's great to be here. We're going to talk today about menopause in the workplace and in particular the recent tribunal case of Linsky and Direct Line Insurance Service in which the claimant was awarded almost £65,000 by the employment tribunal having found that her employer had discriminated against her on the basis of menopo her menopausal symptoms, which constituted a disability under the Equality Act. Yes, this is a really interesting case because menopause in itself is not a recognised protected characteristic under the Equality Act. And so claimants who suffer unfavourable treatment because of their menopausal symptoms are having to find alternative routes to protection, like, for example, demonstrating that their menopausal symptoms constitute a disability under the Equality Act. And this case is an example of a case firmly setting the principle that where menopausal symptoms are severe enough, menopause can constitute a disability under the Equality Act. Yeah, that's right. It seems as if the tribunals are starting to be receptive to these types of claims, in particular, this idea that menopausal symptoms can constitute a disability. What was a taboo subject even five years ago has now become mainstream with Davina McCall talking frankly about her experiences. And this is filtering down into an increase in menopause related claims in the employment tribunals. This is an important development when you consider that in the last 20 years, the number of women aged over 50 in the UK workforce has massively increased, meaning that menopausal women are the fastest growing group of workers. Yes, and I think against that backdrop, we're only going to see an increase in these types of cases. And so it will be increasingly important for employers to consider what they can do to support employees going through the menopause and also not forgetting those who are perimenopausal as well, which um, can also have a huge effect on people. Yes, I mean, when you consider the symptoms of the menopause and the impact that these can have on women, it can, um, it can only be right that employers... Uh, start to take note of this. Of course, symptoms of the menopause vary. Um, and in some cases, symptoms can be very severe. So we can see symptoms that are psychological, such as anxiety, mood swings, problems with memory and concentration, or physical symptoms such as hot flushes, sleep disturbance and headaches. The government's also taking note. There's been a flurry of government-based menopause output recently to coincide with the Menopause Awareness Month, um, which took place in October. For example, there was a policy paper that's been published uh, providing a summary of the work of the Menopause Employment Champion. Key to that plan is the development and establishment of a repository of menopause resources and guidance for employers and employees. Also, the all-party parliamentary group on the menopause has launched its manifesto for menopause, which includes a call on all political parties to commit to a mandated menopause action plan in large companies ahead of the next general election. Also, over the summer, the British Standards Institute published a new, new guidance for employers on managing menstrual and menopause health in the workplace. Yes, there's definitely been a lot of government activity on this lately, but they have stopped short of recognising menopause as a protected characteristic, which the Women and Equalities Committee specifically recommended as part of their review, which, as I mentioned earlier, means that employees need to find alternative routes to protection. So moving on now to actually talk about uh, the case, um, can you tell us a bit of what happened um, on the ground, the facts of the case? 
Yeah, so um, the employee in this case worked for Direct Line as a telesales consultant um, from around 2016 until her ultimate resignation in, in 2022. For the first four years of her employment, she was a good performer and received consistently good performance ratings and things were generally going really well. But then in 2019, she started to suffer from menopausal symptoms, which were having quite a big impact on her. So much so that we understand her family recommended that she go and see her GP. She was eventually diagnosed with hormone imbalance, depression and low mood resulting from being or going through the menopause. She told work about her diagnosis in March 2020 and was very open about her symptoms that she was suffering from, namely low mood, intense anxiety, mood swings, emotional instability, effects on memory, obviously brain fog and, and poor concentration. Critically, though, um, Direct Line didn't at that point take any steps to, to refer her to occupational health or anything like that. And as 2020 progressed, Direct Line started to have concerns about her performance following receipt of complaints about her conduct on calls with customers. To their credit, they did take various steps to try and help the claimant. They provided her with training. They also transferred her to a less customer-facing role, um, which was meant to be less stressful, and that was all done with the claimant's agreement. But the performance concerns still persisted. And at the end of 2020, as part of Direct Line's annual performance review programme, the claimant was graded as needing improvement because in her manager's view, she was struggling to get to grips and understand the role she'd been transferred to and how to handle and resolve customer inquiries. And she generally required a high level of support on most interactions. And her manager also commented that she seemed to struggle to retain information or learn from questions asked previously. At that review, there was no discussion about the underlying reasons for her poor performance even though Direct Line and her manager was aware of her menopausal symptoms and the effect that the claimant had said these were having on her. The upshot of the performance grading of needs improvement was that the claimant ultimately didn't get a pay rise because anybody graded as needing improvement wasn't entitled to be considered for one. So following her appraisal, the claimant was given more training and coaching, but things still didn't improve enough for her manager. And ultimately in 2021, she was given a written warning for her poor performance and placed on a performance improvement plan. At the disciplinary hearing where that warning was issued, the claimant did raise her menopausal symptoms as a mitigating factor, but her manager did not accept that and upheld the decision to give her a written warning. They then gave her more coaching and arranged for her to attend a menopause advice session at the recommendation of her manager. And then later in August 21, she was referred to occupational health after being signed off work with stress. At that point, the occupational health advisor concluded that she was likely to be disabled as a result of her menopausal symptoms and also said that she'd be unable to return to work for six to eight weeks. Then in September 2021, following receipt of the occupational health report, the claimant's manager decided to remove the claimant's discretionary sick pay. They had a policy of paying 26 weeks pay, um, but by that point, the claimant only received 13 weeks sick pay. And this was really as a result of the mistaken view that the claimant wasn't doing enough to manage her menopausal symptoms. And they felt that removing sick pay would have encouraged her to come back to work sooner and, and take more of an active approach to her recovery. In November 21, the claimant raised a grievance about the removal of her sick pay and the written warning that she'd been given. Following that grievance, her sick pay was actually reinstated, but the warning was not withdrawn. Ultimately, relations continued to deteriorate. And in May 2022, the claimant finally resigned, bringing claims of disability discrimination and failure to make reasonable adjustments, and also claims for constructive unfair dismissal, age and sex discrimination. Thanks, Michelle. So she's brought these claims. Was she successful in the tribunal? 
Yes, yeah, so she was successful in the disability discrimination claims. So the discrimination arising from disability and also the failure to make reasonable adjustments. But she wasn't successful in the constructive unfair dismissal age and sex discrimination claims. However, I think it's important to say that the age and sex discrimination claims didn't fail because these characteristics can't be used to bring a discrimination claim on the basis of menopausal symptoms. It's just that they weren't, it wasn't borne out on the facts. So I think these routes to protection for employees suffering with menopause are still very much open. And also just to finish that off in relation to the constructive unfair dismissal claim, the main reason that failed was because the claimant delayed too long in bringing the claim and essentially affirmed the contract or for other in other words you know affirmed the breach or waived the breach. What did the tribunal say about why the claimant's menopausal symptoms constituted a disability in this case? So a little frustratingly the tribunal didn't actually consider this issue. As direct line her employer had conceded that she was disabled at an earlier stage. As we know ordinarily the first hurdle for an employee bringing a disability discrimination claim is to prove that their impairment meets the definition of disability in the Equality Act, i.e. that the person has a physical or mental impairment which has a substantial and long-term adverse impact on their ability to do day-to-day activities. Fortunately, this test wasn't considered in this case, but we do know that her symptoms included low mood, intense anxiety, mood swings, poor self-esteem, effects on memory, poor concentration, which she said adversely affected her work performance. And we also know that direct line, most likely on legal advice, obviously conceded that she was disabled for the purposes of the Equality Act. And so on advice, tended to agree that these symptoms meant that she was disabled. So we can take from this that the employees with these kinds of symptoms are likely to be considered disabled for the purposes of the Equality Act. And also, interestingly, the employment tribunal judge in this case clearly accepted the profound effect her menopausal symptoms were having on her. So this shows that although they weren't asked to consider this issue had they been they probably would have thought that or would have ruled that she was um, disabled for the purposes of the Equality Act. I'm sure you're right yeah what disability discrimination claims did she actually bring can we just delve down into that a little bit what did the tribunal decide in relation to those specific claims? Yeah sure so um, she brought two discrimination claims Um, the first one was a claim for discrimination arising from disability and the second discrimination claim was a failure to make reasonable adjustments. So if we look at the discrimination arising from disability first just by way of background discrimination arising from disability occurs when a normally the employer treats b the employee unfavorably because of something arising in consequence of the employee's disability. So in this case, the claimant asserted that her disability was the menopause, and the something arising in consequence of that condition was her menopausal symptoms of low mood, intense anxiety, et cetera, et cetera, which she said affected her performance at work. The claimant complained of a number of acts by direct line, which she said amounted to discrimination. However, the three key acts relied on were the annual performance rating of needs improvement, and the consequent failure to award her a pay rise. Uh, Secondly, the issuing of the final written warning for poor performance. And then finally, the decision to stop her enhanced sick pay. The tribunal held that each of these acts amounted to discrimination arising from the claimant's disability, i.e. her menopause. And so the claimant was successful in those claims. In relation to the annual performance rating, the tribunal found that the claimant's menopausal symptoms, namely her inability to retain information and memory problems, and also her emotional instability were the reason that direct line had given her this low rating and that low rating was unfavorable treatment 
the tribunal even commented that a need for improvement rating is inherently unfavourable if the person through disability cannot in fact improve or meet the required standards. And in their view, they said that she should have been given the benefit of the doubt and that it should have rated her performance as good in the sense that she was doing all she could to achieve with her limitations. Then in relation to the written warning, the tribunal found that that was unfavourable treatment because of something arising in consequence of her disability. The warning had been given because the manager had found the claimant still did not know the correct processes or step needed to resolve customer queries despite training. However, the reason for that related directly to the claimant's menopausal symptoms, i.e. her memory and concentration difficulties. And the manager had failed to take that into account. And so in that case, it was deemed to be unfavorable treatment because of something arising in consequence of the employee's disability. And then finally, just to touch on the sick pay element really quickly, the removal of the sick pay was also held to be unfavorable treatment arising from the claimant's disability, because essentially that the reason that that decision was made was because the manager believed that the claimant wasn't doing enough to manage her symptoms. They thought she should have been taking antidepressants, other medication, etc. And they thought that removing her sick pay would act as, act as a tool to make her return to work. And in those circumstances, the tribunal found that the decision to remove sick pay was related to her menopausal symptoms. And there was sufficient causal connection there. So that, again, was held to be unfavourable treatment um, arising from the claimant's disability. Can we then talk about uh, justification? Because obviously this type of discrimination can be justified. Yes, exactly. Yeah. So it, and I think it's important to say that, yes, that it, you can justify or defend this type of discrimination. Employer can if an employer is able to show that the acts were a proportionate means of achieving a legitimate aim. And in this case, direct line did advance a legitimate aim, namely that there was a need to ensure that employees are performing in their role in order to deliver a high quality and efficient service to customers and run an efficient and profitable operation. But the problem for direct line here was they didn't actually produce any evidence of how these acts were proportionate means of achieving a legitimate aim or how they helped them achieve that aim. And because of that, the defence failed. And the tribunal also noted that in any event, you know, a less discriminatory approach could have been taken in terms of referring her to occupational health sooner, considering other roles and accepting the claimant's mitigation, i.e. her disability. And what about the failure to make reasonable adjustments claim? What happened on that one? Yeah, so this claim was based on the fact that the claimant was required to meet normal performance standards in the telematics role and that she struggled to meet those standards because of her disability and was therefore more likely to be subject to disciplinary proceedings and or sanctions. And the respondent should have made reasonable adjustments to reduce that discriminatory impact on her. And in relation to that, the tribunal held that it would have been reasonable for a direct line to refer the employee to occupational health when she first mentioned her symptoms in March 2020. And in relation to poor performance rating, her menopausal symptoms should have been recognised and adjustments could have been made, such as call time and targets could have been reduced, consideration could have been given to a non-telephone role, the disciplinary process could have been abandoned and the employee's mitigation that she was disabled should have been accepted. So those are all adjustments in the tribunal held that should have been made. What, what compensation did she actually receive? Yeah, so quite significant compensation, actually. Tribunal awarded the employee just under £65,000, which included £23,000 for injury to feelings. And also, interestingly, £2,500 for aggregated damages in relation to the fact that Direct Line actually failed to concede that the employee was disabled for quite some time. They left it quite late in the proceedings. So that that's interesting as well to see how those aggravated damages played into this. Absolutely. So... 
finally, can we just round up with what would you say were the key learning points for employers that come out of this case? Yes, I think there's quite a few learning points coming out of this case. I think um, the one that stands out for me most probably is just employers really needing to be alive to the fact that employees experiencing menopausal symptoms and indeed perimenopausal symptoms, um, just being alive to the fact that that may well mean that those employees are disabled for the purposes of the Equality Act. And then being proactive in the management of what of what this means in terms of what if any reasonable adjustments need to be made and, and referring people who are suffering to occupational health. In this case, although Direct Line did take a lot of steps in an attempt to assist the employee, for example, providing repeated training, daily management advice, support, etc., that still wasn't considered enough. And so I think employees really need to think about how they are supporting employees with the menopause in the workplace. And then that feeds into my next point, really, which is you know, raising awareness within your workforce as to menopause and its potential impact on employees. And a good starting place there is is to have a menopause policy, which um, sets out what the menopause is, how it affects people and, and, and sort of gives guidance to managers on how to manage employees that might be suffering with those symptoms. And then finally, I would just say, Performance management obviously was at the heart of this case and that that seems to be where direct line have become a cropper, really. And so, you know, as you do with all disabled employees, you know, just take care when managing employees that are suffering with the menopause for performance. As you can see from this case, it's quite easy to trip up and and fall into discrimination territory. And finally, if you do get a claim for this, which you're not able to settle as an employer, just be aware of the dangers of failing to concede that the claimant was disabled um, early on in the litigation. In this case, it cost direct line an, an additional two and a half thousand pounds. So I would always, always say if an employee quite clearly is disabled, that's probably something you should concede up well, front. Particularly in this case where occupational health had specifically stated it. Yes, yeah, I mean, specifically said that she was disabled. Yeah, it's it's interesting that, that that wasn't conceded earlier on. Well, thanks, Michelle. That's a really interesting case. Obviously, this is only a first instance case, just a tribunal decision. So it's not binding on other tribunals. But it's another case that just shows how tricky it is to fairly manage a menopausal employee who's failing to meet performance standards. Thanks so much, Michelle. It's been really nice to talk to you. Really interesting. You're very welcome. It's been great.